Thank you for joining in for this City Lights Church podcast. We're a new church in the north of Brisbane, and you can find out more about us at www.citylights.community. We hope that this podcast encourages you in your journey of following Jesus. wonderful to have you here. Thank you for sharing your Sunday morning with us. We're starting a new series today and it's called Revive. And I'm going to tell you a little bit more about that. But uh, as I do, I want to talk about moods. Okay, moods. I believe that uh, we recognize that the moods, our moods have an impact on how we see the world around us. Who would say, your moods have an impact. Who would say that they're moody or uh, live with someone who's moody? Do not put up your hands. That was a trick question. Everyone keep your eyes straight ahead, all right? The truth is that everybody has a mood. And one of the things that I don't know if you recognize, but our society and our culture can have a mood. Do you, do you realize that? Our society and our culture can have a mood and it can change from season to season. Here's one of the things that I've recognized as we come into November, that the mood of our society is this. We speed up to slow down. Who's recognized that? Once you come into November, you're like, okay, let's think about all the things that I wanted to do this year and whether I did them or not, right? So uh, in our house, our Christmas tree is up. Okay, some of you are cheering. Yes, I see that enthusiastic response. Thank you, young lady up the back. Um, Some people are like, no, that's bad, man. It's too early. Okay, yeah, I see that frown. All right, so we got some highs and we got some lows. Uh, Christmas is coming, whether you like it or not. And there's this... uh, Song, Christmas song, I don't know if you remember it, uh, Another Year Older, What Have You Done? This Is Christmas. Do you know that song? So my wife, every every year, she sings that song and she's like, and then she just has this moment of really deep reflection, like, what have I done? <laughs> like, And she just goes really deep, really, for like a minute or two, like, I'm not sure I achieved anything this year. But uh, it's a time of reflection. And we're speeding up to slow down. But sometimes when we speed up, we start to get really busy. Maybe it's just me, but if you associate this, sometimes when we get busy, we get snappy. Okay, again, don't put your hand up. Just point to the person next to you. You do that, honey. No? Right? So we we speed up. But one thing that we've got to recognize is that These past couple of years haven't been normal years. They have been, people have had a lot more stress, a lot more uncertainty, world events. One of the uh, people I was listening to on a podcast has described, uh, a a counsellor, he has described the world undergoing some type of global trauma because of COVID. So we've got people's, energy levels, their spiritual energy, 
their emotional energy, for some people their physical energy, probably on a whole as a society, the mood of our society is that for many people or the majority of the people, that's lower than it's been. And a lot of people aren't functioning at the level that they were used to. Now, our society was rapidly speeding up anyway, and then we've added COVID on top of that. And so it's so common, particularly around this time of year, to start to feel, yes, I've got goals that I want to achieve. Yes, I want to push to the end. I want to get all the things that I need to do. Maybe there are things that you need to do, or maybe there's things that in the work environment or the study environment you're needing to do. You have these deadlines, and you start to feel depleted physically, emotionally, spiritually. And that's what I would say if I was asked, what is the mood of our society right now? Here's another thing that I've recognized is that this is the time of year that people make decisions about what they're going to do next year. They make decisions what they're going to do next year. But here's what I would say. People don't always make great decisions when they're tired and depleted. Is that true? You would say that? I don't make great decisions when I'm run down, when the tank's a little empty. And so the purpose of this series at this time is to allow the Spirit of God an access point, an entry point, allow Him to have a say in what's happening and allow the Spirit of God where we are depleted, where we are tired, where we are run down, to come and fill us and to revive us. Here's what it says in Psalm 85, 6. It's this prayer, won't you revive us again so that your people can rejoice in you? Most of the time, we're not at our most joyful when we're tired, depleted, run down, energy tanks are low. And so this is the time to say, hey, God, we're looking to you for you to revive us. Jeremiah 35, uh, sorry, 31.25 says this, I will refresh the weary and satisfy the faint. So here is my hope, my invitation, is that God has made a promise in his word that when we need refreshing, when we're a little tired, when we're a little run down, we don't have to look to our holidays, even though I hope that you have holidays coming up. We don't have to look till finishing the project or deadline. But right now, where we are, we can experience the presence of God, the refreshing of God from the inside out. And I want to encourage you, some of you in this, in this building, you know what that feels like. You've learnt how to live in that place, that place of refreshing. Some of you have experienced it in the past, and God is calling you to say, hey, I want you to meet me at this place, and I want to meet you at the, this place. And still others of you have never experienced this in your life, and we're going to open this invitation to be refreshed and to be revived. Here's my other hope for this series, is that as we make plans for next year, as we decide what's on the agenda, that we plan in partnership with God and His Spirit. That we don't say, these are my ideas, these are my plans, but we sit down 
even and we say, hey, God, here's what I'm thinking. Here's what I'm feeling. What do you have to say about that? What do you want to, what do you want to encourage me on that? How do you want me to move forward? How can I do that? I, I had a conversation uh, with a young couple this week about that exact process. They were faced with a number of different and sometimes difficult decisions, a number of options, some of which were really good. You know, like sometimes it's hard when you move forward, you've got a, an abundance of good, of good options. And I was so proud of this couple because as a couple, they chose to seek God. They chose to step out in faith and they chose to walk together. And if I'm totally honest, I got a little bit emotional when they were telling me that story because that is what makes my heart alive. There is all kinds of wholeness and freedom and life. Doesn't mean it's everything's going to be perfect, but when you walk with God, when you plan with God, when you open up your diary, your schedule, your decisions, and say, God, I come in, come and revive this. Come and come and speak into my future. Come and help me see what I can't see that's ahead and help me make really good decisions. And that is a wonderful thing. And that is one of my hopes for today. So the title of my message today is this in the Revive series. It is Revive Our Love. And I want to talk about the Ephesians church. Now, in the Bible, the Ephesians church is one of my most favorite churches. And for a couple of reasons, one of which I'll talk about is the revival that happened in the town of Ephesus and the pattern for revival. Definitely wasn't a perfect church. But the other thing that's unique about Ephesians is that it is talked about in five different books of the Bible with three different authors over about maybe, let's say, 40 years. Okay, some people doesn't have an exact date, but let's say about 40 years, right? So it starts in the book of Acts. All right, so we'll talk about what happens in that narrative in the book of Acts in a minute. And then we have uh, Paul's letter to the Ephesians church, all right, which was most likely not just for them, but it was read out. It's a beautiful piece of uh, theology, knowledge of God, a way for us to live and to understand God. And then we have uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul, instructing a young pastor by the name of Timothy in 1 and 2 Timothy about the Ephesians church. And then finally, in Revelation, Jesus himself talks about the Ephesians church and gives a bit of a uh, report card of the Ephesians church along with six other churches. Okay, so it's incredibly fascinating to see the progression and the origin of this church and then see what it looks like years and years later. So if you didn't know Ephesus, it's a, it was a big town, probably about 250,000 people. One of the uh, features of the town of Ephesus was this. Uh, this is the temple of Diana or Artemis. So I don't know if you know about this. It was, it was made of marble. It was about as big as the grassed area on Suncorp Stadium. All right, so this was was one of the wonders of the world, this incredible masterpiece. And so it was so big that they could sacrifice uh, hundreds of animals at the same time. It was a a center for uh, the 
cult of Diana or Artemis, fertility god. They had male and female priests. Sometimes the male priests would castrate themselves uh, to go into the service of uh, this god. So that's an interesting um, type of Bible college that they had. (laughs) And it was also the home to, it was a very spiritually charged environment. So we had all kinds of uh, witchcraft, um, all kinds of practices, and it was in this uh, centre, source of economic, the the temple was a source of of economic prosperity, people would make idols, people would travel, they'd have all these big festivals. And it was in here that the Apostle Paul came and as part of a missionary journey, he started a church there. And what really, really took off is when the disciples there were filled with the Spirit and then over time things began to break out. Now, here's what's exciting about it is that hearts began to get changed, is that the economy actually shifted, the demand for idols dropped. They had this time where people said, I want to get rid of these scrolls and this witchcraft and they burnt them. Maybe estimates, maybe about six or seven million dollars worth of scrolls in modern day terms. And so there was this real city renewal, revival, true change that touched every aspect. And people got set free and all kinds of things. People got healed. Amazing, amazing picture. Now, you still with me here? So then when the Apostle Paul leaves and he goes on to something else, he charges the elders or the leaders of this church and he says to them this, he says, watch out because false teachers, false apostles, people are going to come in and corrupt the message in this place. So watch out. And we can trace that theme from Acts into particularly uh, Paul's letters to 1 and 2 Timothy, which have a very, very strong focus on watch out for false teaching, all right, and guard yourself against it and protect the church against it. So here we go. We jump into Revelation chapter 2. Now, Jesus is giving a report card on the status of the church. Now, I, I find that this is a It's a bit of an eye-opener, a couple of things. One is Jesus cares about the church, but also the fact that Jesus is watching us in terms of our church and every church, and he's saying, okay, there is uh, good things and there is things that you need to watch out for. And so we have this uh, amazing responsibility before Jesus himself to carry his message and to reach our city and to conduct ourselves in a way which honors and glorifies him. So we're going to read in here. So uh, this is Jesus himself speaking. He says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, for you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and found them false. Okay, so, so far, who thinks we're doing, like the people in the Ephesian church, they're doing pretty good, right? Because that's exactly what the Apostle Paul charged them to do. He said, watch out for false teaching. Let's go on. 
You have persevered and endured hardships for my name and have not grown wearying. Again, like tick, like we are nailing it. We are awesome. We're going so well. Then we come to verse 4. He says, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love that you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things that you did at first. Now, obviously, Jesus said, here's some things you're doing really well. But this one, he said, you've forgotten how to love. Now, the first thing that I want to establish is what type of love are we talking about here? Because certainly in the original language, the type of love is a God type of love. Now, we use this word love very uh, in a lot of different ways and a lot of different meanings. But let's narrow in on this. And, and the word that I want uh, to focus on is a Hebrew word. Maybe you've heard it before and maybe you haven't, which is used often in the Old Testament to describe God's type of love. Right, used uh, 264 times in the Old Testament. It's this word here. It's pronounced uh, like you're clearing your throat, as far as I'm aware. Chesed. Okay. It is a, the Hebrew word that describes God's love. Now, one of the things about this word is that there is no direct translation into English. And so what we have bundled up in this word is a whole list and understandings of meanings. Let me give you a couple of them. A love that is merciful, generous, graceful, that has favor, loyalty, loving loyalty, strength, devotion, steadfast love, unfailing love, loving kindness, kindness, compassion, And faithfulness, and if you're looking for a shorter version, it is, you could call it loyal love. Now, this is the type of love that Jesus was wanting, that he wanted them to have a devotion. And the implication is that they had forgotten to love God and they'd forgotten to share that love with each other. Have you ever loved somebody and they didn't love you back? Here's one of probably the most saddest things. Have you ever had someone that should have loved you, like in a marriage or a parent that didn't love you? It's one of the most saddest things, right? Someone who had a responsibility, had made a commitment. It would break your heart. Have you ever had... A relationship that started off warm, but ended up cold. This is what Jesus is trying to convey here. Is that the Ephesians church, their love had become, instead of faithful, it had become faithless. Instead of graceful, it had become graceless. It had lost kindness. It was flaky. It was weak. It was disloyal and it lacked that warmth and that passion of devotion, not just for God, yes, for God, but also for others. 
And Jesus is saying two things to this church. You don't love me like you used to, and you don't love others like you used to. And we don't know exactly why. It doesn't say exactly why, but I think that we can deduct or deduce from this that one of the reasons is that sometimes when we focus on teaching and focus on correct theology and focus just hold that up as our highest value, sometimes it can become dry, transactional. Here's another thing that I would say, and I think this is a trap for us in the Western church, is that sometimes it's easy to, easier to learn more than to love more. It's easier to learn more. It's easier for me to, like, I love the Bible. I love reading about the background and the context of the Bible. But sometimes that's easier for me to learn more than to actually say, I'm sorry. Than to actually go out of my way to serve somebody. Than actually to go out of my way to help somebody, to pray for somebody to open up my home to somebody, to share a meal with someone, to interrupt my schedule. And we need to understand that at the heart of what God has called us is this loyal love, this passionate devotion for Him. And we need to ensure that the things that we learn are motivating us to love. Here's the other thing that I know is that sometimes we can do without devotion. We can do things. We can go through the motions. We can live a Christianity that, is, that, ha- that we uh, do things out of duty because we know that they're right, and probably they are right. But what God has called us to do is not just to do things, but to do things because we love God and to do things because we love people. I've got two simple questions. The first question is really to sum up what is missing. 1 John 4 says this. says, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. And anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not know, does not love, does not know God, for God is love. And the first question is this, am I connecting with God as my source of, let's just use this word because it's got a bit of meaning for us now, chesed love for people? So am I, am I connecting? Do I have a connection with God that is filling me with God's love so that out of me, I am loving God in the way that He loves me and I am loving people in the way that God loves me? Who here has ever heard of the concept of a, a love tank? All right. Some of you who've been in, in a relationship and you may have heard this question asked by a counsellor or some authors, how is your love tank? Is your love tank full? Okay, maybe you have, maybe that's a new concept. But here's the question for us 
Is my love tank full of God's love? How can I tell? Usually the way that I'm thinking, usually the way that I'm speaking, usually my actions will will determine if I'm running on empty or if I'm overflowing. And God's plan is that we would be filled with God's love to the overflow and that we would live our lives with God's love out of the overflow. That when we are squeezed, when we are pushed, when push comes to shove, when I'm in those uh, situations, then God would flow within me. So earlier this week, I had the privilege of sharing with one of the leadership schools at Youth with a Mission, and I asked them this question. I said, if you've got a, uh, a tube... And it says Colgate toothpaste on the tube and you squeeze it, what is going to come out? All right. I asked them that question. Who, who, anyone kind of get this question? Okay. So I'm going to ask you. If you have a tube and it says Colgate toothpaste on the outside and you squeeze it, what will come out? Colgate toothpaste. That's the answer, right? That's what you think. Incorrect. What comes out of it will be what's in it. It doesn't matter what's on the label. It doesn't matter if I label myself as a Christian or if I label myself, I put a label on me that says God's love. Like that's a good aspiration. But when push comes to shove, when you're under pressure and when you are squeezed, what is going to come out of you? is what is in you. And the question is, what is in you? Is the love of God in you? Are you filled with the love of God? When I'm squeezed, when I'm under pressure, does frustration come out of me? Sometimes, yes, my wife's here. Can't lie. She's nodding. She's got a great smile. She's like, this is a great message. It's probably one of the best you've preached. Sometimes, sometimes, usually when I've taken time to fill my tank and been intentional about filling my life with the love of God, that loyal love, that faithfulness, that strength, that devotion to God, and I'm squeezed, what will come out of me is peace and strength. It doesn't mean I'm a pushover, but the way that I operate, the tone, the spirit, some of those non-verbal, some of those other things will come out with love. And my response will not be dictated by the circumstances, but it will be dictated by the presence of God within me. And here's the question, are you filled with God's love? And this is what we're talking about. We are talking about in this time when we're a little depleted, when our emotions are a little raw, when our circumstances may be not all going the way that we want, are we filled with God's love? Are we allowing God to fill us so that when we are under pressure, when we are squeezed, that out of that, the words that come out of that are words which glorify God, are words which honour other people. And we learn to live in this place of love. That's the first question. And the second question I'm going to Invite Naomi back, and uh, in a moment we're going to take communion together.
The first question is, am I connecting with God as my source of hesed love for people? The second question comes from Luke chapter 10, and it's a reasonably well-known story of Mary and Martha. Now, at this time, Mary and Martha were given the incredible privilege as women to sit under the teaching of a rabbi, and not just any rabbi, Jesus. Very rare. Very rare for uh, women to be invited to learn. It was a great honor. But here they were, and Martha... Actually, in the Bible, a great woman of faith. You read in in the book of John, she makes one of the greatest faith statements. But here she's caught up in the moment. She's caught up in the busyness. And it says, And Jesus and his disciples were on their way. He came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. And here's a word I want you to notice. But Martha was distracted. Everybody say distracted. By all the preparations that had to be made. And she came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care? My sister has left me to do the work by myself. Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried And upset about many things, but few things are needed, indeed only one. And Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. What's the pathway? So if you've got to this point in the message and you've realized and only you can do this, no one else can do this, you've realized that you need more of the love of God in your life if you're going to live in the way that God's called you to live. You're going to live with love. If you're going to be known for love, if when push comes to shove, if love's going to come out of you. And what is the pathway to that? And I believe that it's it's found here. And I believe that it's, One of the moods for our society is distraction. We got a lot of things. And Jesus says, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. What's the one thing? What do you think Jesus was talking about? What do you think is the pathway to love for those who have set their sights, for those who have set their vision, not on doing life alone, not on day by day grinding it out, not on the hustle. I'm all all in for hard work. I love doing what I do. I love working hard. I love pushing myself. But that's not how I'm going to get filled with love. That's not how my home is going to be a great place to live. That's not how I'm going to be a good dad or a good husband. That's not how I'm going to be a good friend or I'm going to lead this church like God has wanted. There's only one thing. And here's the thing. Here's our second question. Simple question. Does Jesus have your attention? 
This is the path to revive your love. If you've lost your way, this is an orientating question. Does Jesus have your attention? What was the difference between Mary and Martha? Mary gave Jesus her attention and Martha was distracted. It's the simplest thing. Simple to know, harder to do. Now here's a question. Have you ever tried to love somebody by not giving them their attention? Okay, I have a phone, so I try every day. It's easy to get distracted. I know that if I'm doing something else and I'm trying to connect with someone, they don't feel like we are growing in love. And this is a question for everybody that everybody can do. Easy to say, takes a little persistence. Takes us to go past, takes us to clear the mind, takes us to clear the schedule like we were talking about last week, to humble our schedule and say, God, I, I need you more than I need to do stuff. That what you can do in me, what you can do through me, the ideas that you can give me, the peace that you can bring. There's no other way that I can achieve that. No amount of work, no extra hours in your day. And so this is what Jesus is calling us to. This is a simple question which I hope helps you to reconnect. Does Jesus have your attention? In a moment, we're going to take communion together. If you just look down under your seat, you should have a a communion cup. There are two layers. One is for the bread and the other is for the juice. Yeah, why don't you rip that off now? Let's get all the sounds out. Communion is a time where we humble ourselves before the God that humbled himself for us. That we recognize the love of Jesus, the type of love. That Jesus is love. He embodies the love of the Father and the Spirit. And he did it for us. Thank you for listening. You can find out more about City Lights Church at www.citylights.community.